I don't know about you, but if my kids had any more sugar, we weren't going to make it to Christmas Sunday. <laughs> Holy, woo! Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. A familiar passage, <laughs> a super familiar passage. You hear it almost every Christmas. I'm going to turn there with you. I'll be reading out of the New Revised Standard Version today. So it'll mess up some of the words and some of you will be angry, but that's what we're going to go with. Luke chapter 2, are you there? Verse 1 says, In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone say Quirinius. Quirinius. That was awful. All right. All went, <laughs> Quirinius. All went to, that's why I did it. All went to their towns to be registered. Now, Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. The first century A.D. physician Luke wrote this account of the birth of Christ. He tells us back in chapter 1 that he traveled and he talked to the very people who were involved in this story so he could sort of get it word for word, if you will. Luke's eye for detail is seen in the midst of this story, but what's seen even more than Luke's eye for detail is God's eye for detail and God's eye for irony. I imagine that on the night that Jesus was born, there was some laughter in heaven because God himself, through the birth of his son Jesus, blew up every assumption that we might have as to what God was going to do to save the world. He does this story, or has this story, against the backdrop of Augustus Caesar. He was the most powerful man on earth, and he was the one who decreed that everyone under Roman rule should be registered. We all know why the government wants to take a census and register us, don't we? It was the same then as it is now. They want our money. Augustus Caesar wanted to tax people. And so people had to go to their hometown and register not only to be taxed, but that census and knowing where you are and what you're doing gives the government some level of control over your life, unless you're one of those people who have gone off the grid. And more power to you. Anyhow, we know the government wants to maintain some power, and this census that Augustus Caesar decided to take truly was a display of his awesome power. Now, for everybody here who didn't fail geography, follow with me for a moment. Imagine today if someone had the power to decree a census all the way from Iraq to Great Britain. And that's the type of power Augustus Caesar had. And it was during his reign that people started calling a man who was named Octavian Augustus, which means the great one. And of course, Caesar is the Roman word, the Latin word for king. Many historians would agree that he was one of the most illustrious kings in human history. I imagine to live at that time and to call yourself a Roman must have been and had such a sense of pride about it. You were a subject of the greatest king on earth, 
and you were a subject of the most powerful kingdom on earth. And God, displaying a fantastic sense of irony, decides that it would be awesome to send his king and his kingdom into a world in the apparent shadow of this Roman emperor and this Roman empire. Now you say, Matt, where do you get the idea that God is offering his king and his kingdom? Well, if you look back at the text we just read, it says that the parents of Jesus were direct descendants of David. David being the king of Israel. I mean, Israel's big-time king. The best king that they'd ever had. And it was to David that God made a promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 13. It will appear on the screen. God said to David through the prophet Nathan, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I mean, honestly, what's God doing here? He's telling David, there is going to be a forever king that comes from your line, an eternal king that comes from your line. And Luke wants to make sure that we know that Joseph and Mary, and we find out through the genealogies of Jesus, both in Matthew and Luke, that Jesus was descended on both sides of the family from King David. Luke wants us to know that they are going to Bethlehem because that's where David was from and that they're direct descendants of David and that this child to be born is the once and future king that was talked about here. And we're not talking about King Arthur. We are talking about a king that is real and who lasts forever. For those of you who are Lord of the Rings fans, Jesus was Aragorn before Aragorn was Aragorn. All of the archetypical figures of literature, the anointed ones, which is the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah, or in Greek, it's Christ, or in English translated, it's the anointed one. All of these archetypical figures of, of literature are found here in Jesus Christ. He is the one who is going to come and restore order and bring peace and bring the kingdom that will last forever. There's one more prophecy that I want to mention to you today because it is also alluded to by Luke here. He makes a big deal out of the fact that Jesus is a direct descendant of David, and he makes a big deal out of the fact that they are going to Bethlehem. Way back in the book of Micah, one of the first Old Testament prophets written, it says this in chapter 5, verse 2 of the book of Micah, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule whose origin is from old? I'm just going to put a question mark there because how do you have one who's going to come forth now whose origin is from old? But we'll figure that out later. From ancient days, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace." So Luke is showing us a picture, if you will, in the shadow of the Roman Emperor Augustus, how God has determined to bring forth his king. 
one who has been spoken of from old. In fact, the Bible is so symmetrical and so beautiful, you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 49 to see that God is promising an eternal king of peace through the clan or through the tribe of Judah. You know, God had always had this plan to send his anointed one into the world to make peace with the world. And in light of the power displayed from the Roman king, God is beginning to establish his king and his kingdom. But God's sense of irony isn't done in verse 7. It continues in verse 8. Will you read with me? In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the child wrapped in, I'll do it for you, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. So against the backdrop of the world's best and most powerful king, God announces the birth of his own. And not just a ruler for people of Roman birth. No, he is a ruler for all the people. Or as Micah 5.5 5 said, a ruler that shall bring peace to the ends of the earth. You see, in God's kingdom, race and nationality, they're not cause for discrimination, but inclusion. And to prove that this king that God is sending is truly for all the people, and not just the oligarchs in the middle class. Not only is this king born in the humblest of circumstances, in a barn, but God chose to announce his birth, not to kings, monarchs, court recorders, but to the humblest of herdsmen. That's how God does it. And it truly is irony. Because God's king doesn't come in the way that anybody might expect. And I'd like to submit to you today that nobody can do it any better than God did it. If you're going to introduce a savior to the world, announce it ahead of time through your prophets for two millennia. And then when you do send that savior, don't do it in a way that anybody on earth could expect. Because that would be ungodlike. Blow up every pretentious assumption on how this introduction should go down and appeal directly to the hearts of every man, woman, and child on earth. He didn't announce it to lifestyles and people that we would deem unattainable. But he makes sure that even the, in that time, someone in the lowliest of professions the lowliest of vocations, can be the first one to hear the message. When Augustus Caesar made his decree about the census, it went far and wide throughout the world through, through bureaucrats and generals and governors so that all may hear his decree. 
But when God determines to decree that he is taking back the world with his king and his kingdom, he needs no people of power to get it done. He announces it to shepherds to display his greatness. And the question might be, was the message stifled? The message of God's king and God's kingdom, did it not get out to everybody? I mean, who would choose to announce it to shepherds first? Well, we know from history that the message certainly was not stifled. Because within one generation of this first Christmas, there were people in the emperor's very household claiming Christ as their king. Within one generation, noble Romans of the highest class were calling Jesus Christ Lord, the one who was born in a manger and whose birth was announced to shepherds. You see, Augustus Caesar's life lasted just a bit longer, and the Roman Empire lasted for a bit longer still. But there is only one kingdom and one king who is reigning from that day to this. One kingdom and one king still reigning from that day to this. There is nobody out there today saying, my king is Nebuchadnezzar and I am a Babylonian. Nobody out there today saying, I am a Persian and my king is Cyrus. No one in the world today is claiming Octavius Caesar, the Augustus one, as their own. No one's saying, I belong to the British Empire and King George III. But today, from Shanghai to Morocco, from Cape Town to St. Petersburg, from Montreal to San Diego, and from Juneau to the Straits of Magellan, people are claiming Christ as king and his kingdom as their own. God did it well, didn't he? God did it in a way that we could never have imagined, never have planned, but was just so God. He did it in a way that we would look at it and go, you did what? To announce the beginning of your kingdom? and your, you, you did what? If we had been sitting in the throne room of heaven while the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit concocted this plan, we would have been... <coughs> uh, Trinity? I know what you're saying here, but I'm human, and I have to tell you, this is a silly plan. This is not the way that you want to talk about bringing the kingdom to bear. This is, this is a bad idea. I know it sounds cute, sounds really cute, but I don't know that it's going to get the job done. It lacks a little bit of logic. That's what we would have said had we been in heaven, but God knows the human hearts that he created. And in doing what he did that Christmas so many moons ago, he appealed not just to the hearts of kings or the minds of academia, but he appealed to the hearts and minds of every single human being who had ever walked this earth by sending his son in the humblest of circumstances to the humblest of people. You may ask yourself, why? Why is this kingdom still reigning today why is this king still in charge 
Why do billions call Christ their king? Well, it's right here in the message of the Christmas story. Christ came to earth to benefit us. Not that we could add or give any great benefit back to him. The angel said to the shepherds that at the very heart of Christ's coming were the gifts of joy, goodwill, favor, and peace from the mind and heart of God to the mind and heart of human beings. If you break those four terms down, it could be stated this way. Because God has goodwill and favor towards you, he desires to give you joy and peace. And the angels cried glory to God because of how God chose to establish his kingdom. Men like Cyrus and Augustus and Nebuchadnezzar and King George the one, two, and three, those were men who established their kingdom by subjugating others, by killing others, by placing people into slavery, by taxing people. But the God of the universe has established his kingdom by saying, choose me, and I'll make it easy on you. Accept this free gift, and I'll make it easy on you. You don't have to perform for me to swear allegiance to this kingdom. You just have to accept me, and you're in. You want proof? The shepherds are in. Why can't you be? God sent Jesus so that those living in darkness could now live in the light. And that those living shackled could be set free. God sent Jesus so that people on earth who swear allegiance to institutions and parties and nations and virtues and values would begin to swear allegiance to something that mattered something that lasted for eternity and something that truly resonated within the human heart god sent jesus so that people who swore allegiance to nothing nothing but their own little kingdom a kingdom of one a kingdom which only they would want to swear allegiance to They may desire that their spouse swear allegiance to that kingdom, but they're the only ones who swear allegiance to it. God sent Jesus so that those people could live for something greater than themselves. This story reminds us that not everybody's going to be rich. Not everybody is going to have a strong body. Not everyone's going to be attractive. Not everyone's going to be book smart. Not everyone's going to have enough to eat all the time. Not everyone's going to have a good family. And not everyone's going to have a ton of friends. But all men and women everywhere can have the peace, hope, and joy that God can bring by bringing meaning, purpose, and peace to their lives. The opposite side of that is true fact. Caesars and paupers alike can be miserable and aimless. Kings and the poor alike can have no meaning. 
But God desired to send his son into the lowliest of circumstances to remind people that regardless of what station in life you occupy, his peace, hope, love, and joy can be yours. A kingdom that we can belong to where we are sure that we have purpose and meaning, where we are sure that we have the hope of heaven, a kingdom where we are sure of God's love for us, and a kingdom where the world can crumble around us, but peace may abound. I mentioned just a few minutes ago that within a generation of the first Christmas, a multitude of Romans were switching their allegiance from Rome to Christ. What that tells me is that even being a part of the most powerful empire on earth could not bring them the peace, hope, and joy that the human heart longs for. Augustus Caesar and his empire could offer them nothing that lasted. But Christ could. Christ did. Christ is and Christ will offer you the kingdom that lasts. Perhaps the kingdom that you swear allegiance to is offering you nothing that lasts either today. It doesn't matter how much money is in the account, how many toys are in the man den, how many redecorating projects are completed, or what generation of iPhone you have. You just haven't found what you're looking for in this life. The name Jesus means God saves. And you may be in need of a savior today. Your life may be aimless, hopeless, without peace, devoid of joy. You might have swore allegiance to a lot of different people and things over the years, but none of them has offered you anything that lasts. God's offer is on the table. Even better said, God's offer is in a manger waiting for you. And the offer is simple. It's time to leave the kingdom that you're presently in and join the kingdom that you were born to join. I say to you today that this same Jesus can make his way into your life, and he will turn your world right side up if you let him. You might view God as some cosmic meanie, somebody who didn't allow your life to go the way that you thought that it should go. But I assure you today, God is full of goodwill toward you. And he wants to bring peace and assurance into your life that lasts for an eternity. His whole purpose in sending Jesus Christ to this earth was so that men and women might join his kingdom to change this earth to what it was supposed to be and that when they die, have everlasting life in the household of God. That's what God offers today. So much better than any temporal king or temporal kingdom, any temporal person, any temporal idea. It's a kingdom that lasts, 
And it's a kingdom that he's called each and every one of us to. Will we answer the call and walk through the gates and celebrate his king, Jesus, the Messiah? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed today, I'm going to ask that the elders make their way into the aisle. We're just going to have a time of prayer this morning. And today, you might be in a place where you say, Pastor Matt, I do not claim to have all the answers and I don't know about everything that you have spoken today, but I can be sure of one thing. What I'm presently doing, it's not working. My life is not what I think it was supposed to be. And today as you spoke, I recognize that God does care about me and has a plan for me and wants to give me that peace and favor, that joy that he spoke about in this story, one that's for all people. And I've been on the fence. My life isn't what I want, but... I recognize that my life is what God wants. And I want to transfer my allegiance to Jesus Christ today. I have put it off far too long. If that's you today, I invite you to bring your allegiance to the one true king. And as a declaration of that today, I want you to stand right where you're at and say, Jesus, I'm transferring my allegiance to you. I've put it off for far too long. Thank you for your boldness. Who else today needs to say, I am transferring my allegiance to Jesus, the Savior? I've put it off for far too long. I'm just going to wait just a moment. Just a moment. Anyone else here? Put it off far too long. I've heard about Jesus. I've read about Jesus. But I haven't walked through the gates, and it's time today not trying to coerce anyone. Jesus says, choose me. But I want to give you this opportunity today. standing in this place today, I'd like you to just pray this prayer with me in your heart and mean it from your heart. I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me, but you can in your spirit. Let's just transfer our allegiance to Christ today. Lord Jesus, I recognize that you are the one who I was born to follow. 
and I recognize that I've been doing things my own way for far too long. And it's time for me to drive a stake. It's time for me to not be moved. I give my life to you today. I accept the free gift of God in Christ Jesus. Father God, forgive me of every errant thing that I've ever done. And today, begin to make me new. And thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done and what you're going to do in my life. Lord Jesus, I will follow you all of my days. standing in this place, you may be seated, but listen up in the next few minutes, I'm going to have some instructions for you. You've made the best decision that you could have ever made in your life. We're going to help you along your journey towards Christ. It is the best journey that you can be on. At Victory Life, we always end our service 94% of the time with a chance to pray with a chance to allow the elders of the church, as it says in James chapter 5, to anoint us with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit and to pray over us. And today, if God's been speaking into your life on a number of fronts, we'd love to pray for you. First, today, if you want to respond to this message, you say, Pastor Matt, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I've walked out of the gates a little bit, and I need to come home into the kingdom to which I was called, and I recognize that today. I'm not living in peace and hope and joy. I'm living in my own thing. Well, I invite you to come today and be prayed for. Today, the second invitation is to those of you who are sick in body. I recognize that so many here need healing from the Lord. We'd love to pray for you today, and perhaps this is your day of deliverance. Finally today, we would be remiss if we did not pray for those in this place who this Christmas is going to be a hard Christmas because of who's already gone on to be with the Lord, because of who's not here, because of the circumstances that aren't right. What we'd love is your church family to pray for you today and lift you up, that we wouldn't send you from this place and go, be joyful, without lifting you before the Lord and asking his spirit to bring peace and comfort to your heart. If you'd like to pray with us today, would you just come right now? Any one of these three invitations or whatever the Lord's laying on your heart, would you come? We'd love to pray for you. Love to anoint you with oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And be your church family in this place today. Christmas is the time for family. Let's be the family of God in this place. And folks in the congregation, I invite you, if you see a brother or sister up here praying, please come. Lay a hand on their shoulder. Pray with them. And allow God's Spirit to use you to bring comfort and peace to their soul.
class, we're going to sing a familiar song called How Can I Keep From Singing. Val, if you get a moment, if you can pull that up, that would be great. We just want to go out on this service celebrating the name of the Jesus. There's an endless song. Jesus, we do thank you today for how loved that we are, regardless of the circumstances that we're in, we are loved. And Lord, we celebrate this week the birth of your Savior, who is your demonstration of love to each and every one of us. So today, Lord Jesus, as we go from this place, I pray that regardless of any circumstance that we face, regardless of what Christmas looks like for each and every one of us, that we would be singing the praises of the one who has called us out of the dead and dying kingdom of which we were a part into his kingdom of life and light and joy and peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now before you leave, 